Colorado have 17 games remaining. Eight at home, nine on the road. The Avs have won more road games than all of the following teams. Arizona, Buffalo, Ottawa, Montreal. So hey, if y'all are ever going to figure that out, now's the time, eh? Let's do the end. Sackick fakes it, takes it, scores! Joe Sackick! Wow! Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Stephanie. Welcome to the Burgundy Radio. The Burgundy Radio, apparently. Boy, typing is great. Colorado Avalanche podcast for March 5th, 2018. Coming up on the show, the Az have a point in every game with a Mark Alt era, and we'll break down how. Plus, the playoffs are back on the menu, and just hand 29 the heart already. But before we play the whoosh, your disembodied voices for the week are, as usual, Earl 06. What's up, Earl? Hello, friends. And Jackie, Tiger Vixen, how are you? Bonjour. A little bit of housekeeping off the top here. Shout out to everyone who hung out with us last week for the trade deadline. It was a lot of fun. I like to do it again for other events, you know, free agency, stuff like that. Um, Also, Burgundy Rainbow are looking at doing another mailbag soon. So make sure to bring us your questions on the BR Discord or on Twitter. Shoot them to at avsbrblog. Or is there anywhere else to send those questions? No? I don't think so. You can send them directly to us if you want to at TigerVix, and that works too. So it was a wildly successful homestand this week. Starting on Monday, Avs win 3-1 over the Vancouver Canucks thanks to a pair of goals from Nathan McKinnon and one from Miko Rantanen. Varlamov saved 31 of 32 in this one, including three shorthanded shots from Vancouver for some reason. Pa- power kill was really in full force. Then on Wednesday, Avs stomped the Calgary Flames 5-2 thanks to a four-goal second period. Nathan McKinnon got one, of course, and so did Tyson Berry, Nikita Zadorov, and Long Beach native Matt Nieto. Duncan Siemens added the empty netter from way downtown. That's his first NHL goal. Well done there. On Friday, the Minnesota Wild got run the hell out the Pepsi Center 7-1 the final with two goals from McKinnon, one apiece from Carl Soderberg, Gabe Landeskog, Ranton, and Nieto, and Barry. Colorado have beaten the Wild 14-3 to at home so far this year, so that's fun. Plus, yes, one of the McKinnon is. goals was his 30th, so well done there. Finally, on Sunday, we just watched the Avs fall 4-3 in overtime to the Nashville Predators, a game that the Avs mostly played really well, but got exposed 5-on-6 once again. Nikita Zadorov on an out-of-the-box breakaway, plus Miko Rantanen on the power play, your regulation goals. And also, Matt Nieto gets credit for one of the funniest own goals I've seen in a long time from Kevin Fiala. Varlamov forgets what a butterfly position is to give up the overtime goal to Ron Forsberg. So, that's seven points on the homestand this week. But still, it feels like it should have been eight, doesn't it? So we'll open with a question. Uh, Text it in from Mr. Tiger Vixen. How the fuck do you lose up one goal with open net and then lose in overtime? That's a good I think, question because I didn't know what to say back. <laughs> yeah, it, it's. I mean, if you if you break down what happened in both cases, it was. You know, I, I think they were a little bit too collapsed in the defensive zone when they were playing five v six, and that's sort of been a chronic problem with them. Um, that's one of their worst situations. Um, you know, out, out of anything you can think of, it and be it um, a delayed penalty call, which I think we had one the other night. Um, or at the end of games. But the Avs do have 16 empty net goals, so something goes right there, too. Um, 
you know, like we were discussing earlier, it, it looks like they were setting that up such that Varley could see the shot, and he probably did, and it, it, it was just a really good shot, and, and he couldn't save it. Um, as far as the overtime goal, all, all I can really say is yikes as far as what Varley did, and I wasn't real impressed with Miko's defense either on uh, on, the, on the zone entry and, and forcing the shooter outside. How I would answer this question is, this is my husband's question. He doesn't care about any of that. (laughs) 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 He he would have no idea what you just said. So my answer would be, well, Nashville's a really good team, obviously. And, you know, at some point, they're just hard to hold down. And, I mean, the own goal was, was a nice bounce for the Avs, but... If you if you look at it at the big picture, having that game tied and going into overtime is probably what they earned. You know, they earned yeah. a, the power play goal that could have, let's say, tied it, and then overtime. And overtime is a coin flip. I mean, it is it is disappointing when you're that close to winning, and then not only do you give up the tying goal, well, then you lose in overtime. So. It, 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 it always leaves such a bad taste in your mouth, but I think the bigger picture, I kind of think they got what they deserved out of this game. Not that I think they played bad. I just think they played a really good team and, and they played them even and overtime just kind of is what it is. Yeah. I, th- I think the predators kind of, you know, they, they are able to ramp up effort quite well. Thank you. And that's why they're at the top of the Western conference. And um, you know, they didn't think they were out of it even when they were down a goal. Um, you know, they just, you know, they went in and, and they did their, their jobs when it was six V five for them at the end of the game. I mean, that's, you know, I, I don't think they were ultra surprised they tied that game and, you know, they're probably just laughing at the stupid ass goal Varley let in. <laughs> Which I mean, ultimately it, that's kind of a three to two game because, uh, if you, if you take out the LOL Varley goal and you take out the the own goal, there's really not another word for it. That was just a straight up own goal. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that, that was just that, that wasn't bouncing that. off Anton Lindholm's yeah, yeah. belly button. You know that no, that was no. straight up. He put it in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he tried to clear it, missed. Tried to put his stick behind it again, hit it on the way backward, and oops. Yeah. I do feel bad for the guy, but. You know, things like that happen to us. Yeah. yeah. Dude, shit happens, and if he can't laugh at it, especially after walking out with two points, then what do you do? Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that feels better, too. Yeah. You know, it's not like he's not scored lots of goals this year or anything like that. So, um, you know, I'll, yeah, I'll I, I mean, I, I think... One more th- I, I want to add one more thing real quick. Um, with it being a one-goal game, Miko Rantan missing on the 4 by 6 really hurts. Yeah, I kept thinking about that play. <laughs> yeah, um, he he did make up for it, like our our good friends Keith and JML called. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that hurt. Um, but I I mean I think that really just demonstrates in the big picture that they can hang with a team like um, the Predators. Um, you know, obviously they play a lot better at home. So on the road, you know, I, I don't think this would have been nearly as close. But 
I think it just showed that the you know, sort of their skill and level of compete. And I don't want to say compete level like Eric Vay uses it, but just <laughs> saying they could get up for a game like this and match the level that the opponent is playing. Um, you know, it, it shows that they're 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 not super lucky to be where they are in the standings. That they're you know they're they're a team that can hang with anybody in the league, and you know if they get lucky, they could beat a really good team. I. I did feel like this was a good game and uh, it did kind of have that ramped up intensity. It was physical. It was a pretty even game. And yeah. so I agree. It, it showed that they could, yeah, that they could play with a team like this when, when they first started the game, it was a little iffy, but yeah, but they set, they settled into the game and they, they definitely kept up with Nashville. I agree with that. They, they definitely had a rough start, and in what would be a recurring theme all day, one of the, the first shift for the fourth line plus third pair just lasted for an hour and a half and ended in a goal against. So it was just, it was yeah. not a great night for the Lindholm Siemens pair or for the uh, 37-47-57 line, which eventually got split apart, but with uh, Comfer and Toninato and Bork on. Can we call that the lucky seven line? Sure. <laughs> I don't know if it's all that lucky. <laughs> well, seven, seven, yeah, but even seven, so, five. even after that terrible shift, they had to bank one off Lindholm's belly button to get a goal. So, and it, and it wasn't even directly off of Lindholm. It hit another Av on the way to before that. Too. Yeah. Yeah, that was just pinball city. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, it's terrible to watch that that none of those five guys can clear the puck collectively. Um, but you know, it is kind of Nashville had to get, have a little bit of luck to, to even score then. So that's something's, something's happening, right? Okay. I'll pose this question. What's happened to the fourth line? Because it, it used to be good and I don't, you know, Tony Otto can have varied opinions on him, but he usually is a net positive and, you know, they don't have Yakupov on that line, so it's not him. So, kind of, what's happened there? Is it that Comfort's not a good? I'm not blaming it on him. It just he's not a good mix as a fourth liner. Could that I'll, be I'll, it? I'll tell you exactly what happened. We had a a, a major progression and and sort of a measured progression all week in in level of opponent. We started with Vancouver, then went up to Calgary, then to Minnesota, and then to Nashville, and they just sort of progressively got worse. So it's that, it's a, it's a level a of competition thing, yeah. Yeah, that that they're going against better and better lines. Yeah, yeah. That's why I, I, that's why I really liked the schedule this week because it's like you start out with a doormat, which you 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 know the Avs kind of struggle with the worst teams because they sort of play to the level of their competition a lot. Um, but you know they took care of that, and then Calgary is better than Vancouver and, and Calgary and, and the Avs are basically sort of in the same situation in the standings. So, you know, that was, that was sort of their even game and they took care of them handily. And Minnesota is, is, you know, a, a fair piece ahead of them in the standings, even though I don't think honestly, they're that much better. Um, but they, you know, they trounced them Minnesota and then they hung with Nashville. Minnesota have three points on Colorado in the standings and, uh, only one of those yeah. overtime loss, so I mean it's, yeah, it's and, close. And, well, but I at mean, this point of the season, when, three when they were coming into the week, they had a bunch more points. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> I'd, I'd say they're they're within range for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I guess we'll see then. We'll see if the fourth line can look a little bit better against... I mean, I guess whatever you think about what Chicago is at this point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That... My point is just that it's not quite the same as Anaheim, who should have the edge on Colorado after their game ends today and have six points on the Avs just by losing correctly. Yeah. That's uh, deceptive with air quotes around it. So, um, I don't want to be, you know, too overly negative, just because, I mean, we just watched a game that got very negative at the end, but this has been a great week for Colorado. Um, just kind of, I like the way that Earl just kind of put it, as you're just kind of leveling up your opponents as you go, and then you just kind of, you, you take care of Vancouver, maybe you don't play your best game, but you do take care of them, and then Calgary come in, and you send them packing too, and then you finish the Brazil on Minnesota, and then Nashville, you, you play very well, so... Um, I mean, it's, it's good signs from Colorado at home as, as it has been all year long, but as we'll talk about later, um, with, with looking ahead at next week, they're, they're going to have to win some road games. Yeah. Um, Nathan McKinnon, I believe had a point in every game this week, maybe even a goal in every game. Yeah. I think he's scored since he, he's been back for eight games and he's only been blanked in the two Edmonton games, if you can believe it. Um, he has, I think he's up to 16 points in those eight games. So he's he's on a two point per game pace, and it's it's actually one goal and one assist per game average. He has um, which, 77 points now, which is tied for fourth with Steven Stamkos and Claude Giroux, and he leads the league in points per game. Yeah. So that's pretty good. Uh, yeah, it's it's. I mean, I was, and it, he leads point points per game by quite a bit, actually. No, oh. yeah, um, he's .02 points per game ahead of Nikita Kucherov, but those two have a little bit of an edge on everybody. Yeah, I was I was looking at this Saturday morning before Kucherov played, um, and it was Mac was at one point three six, and I think the the closest the next guy was probably one point two something. Yeah. Um. So, you know, that's just it's a testament to how fantastic he's been uh, this season, and just what a joy he is to watch. Um. But it just, I mean, it's amazing you can come back from an injury like that. Like, most guys, you know, they take a few games to sort of get the mojo back. And I know he only missed, you know, a couple weeks worth of games. But, you know, to come back and be two points per game pretty consistently, that's that's fabu. And especially what he's done at home is just crazy. Like, five points. He's done that several times. This this home road thing, I think, is it usually shouldn't matter that much, but yet it does. And the yeah. way, and I mean, he's been great, no doubt, but the way he plays at home is just, I don't the think team. there's anybody better in the league than, I mean, especially how he's played at home. I just, I, I don't, I can't wrap my head around sort of losing 6 1 to Calgary in Calgary and then coming home and, and killing them 5 2. You know, it, within a week. Um, Colorado's you know, inconsistent. Calgary's inconsistent. Yeah, I think it I, helps I just, that they played him again so soon. I mean, I always say that. It kind of tends towards even. But, but yeah, especially their performance. Like, they just did not look good in that game in Calgary. Yeah, and, like, they and, didn't you know, even look like they belonged in the conversation in, in that game. Right. No, that was an awful game. 
And then, but yeah, then they come home and they play in this four game set. You would say, you take the whole thing and you'd say, yeah, this absolutely is a playoff team. Holy crap. Okay, so um, Nathan McKinnon, this is um, from Korska.Hockey. Nathan McKinnon has 35 points at home. The next closest is Claude Giroux, who has 25. <laughs> yeah, it's just... Nathan McKinnon has five points per 60 minutes at home. Um, <laughs> the, the next closest is Daniel Carr in 95 minutes of action in Montreal with, with 3.75. The next closest regular player is Mark Stone with 3.48 points per 60 at home. Like McKinnon dines out on the matchups that his coaching staff is able to get him. On the Do we road, think that's it's it? a little different. Do we think it's a match? I don't know. Does it make that much of a difference i honestly think the crowd has something to do with it and that's because... that's even strength by the way that that's all even strength yeah right i, I honestly think because i mean they keep it shouldn't you know there, there's no way you can sort of parse that out as a stat but the guys have really said that the crowd gets them going this year and you know but usually sometimes... that would be it, it, usually that would be anecdotal but i i think it really does work but sometimes it's not that lively. Like mon the Monday and Wednesday games, I mean, I'm sure the crowd was into it, but the difference between that and what they see on the weekend is is quite large. Yeah. And I even think it kind of hurt them earlier in the year when, when they weren't doing this role at home was I think that kind of contributed to, to some slower starts because some of the crowds are, were smaller, especially during the week. And they had a lot of those games early in the season, kind of those, like, Tuesday night against Winnipeg. Those aren't usually very well attended. Mm -hmm. And then they've kind of, and then now they've had a lot more weekend games that are attended better. Yeah, so, but you're, I mean, you're talking about the difference between, you know, 12,000 people screaming for you and 18,000 people screaming for you or whatever I think it it's a difference. Like, when there's 12,000 there, you can tell it's kind. It's not full. Yeah. But, I mean, obviously, you're... But it's still positive. You. Yeah. Well, assuming... <laughs> assuming who you're playing against. So, yeah. I just want to clarify real quick. Um, when, when you look at all situations, uh, McKinnon has 56 points at home which is seven more than number two, Blake Wheeler. And he scores 5.79 points per 60 minutes, which is a full point and a quarter almost over Evgeny Malkin. Guess who's number three? Miko Rantanen. Miko Rantanen. That is correct. He... Who, got, who, who, with his wonderful game against the uh, the Minnesota Wild, got himself back up to a point per game and, and kept that going today. Right, he's just behind Malkin. Like it's basically tied. Now, if I'm I'm going to click on this venue button, I'm going to change home to away, and we're going to look at the top thirty, and I'm not seeing Nathan McKinnon anywhere. Nope. I see f that I've not sorted it. There's still a lot of Alex's in a row. That's the pro that's part of the problem here. I was like, why is there six Alex's in a row? So I'm going to, now that it's actually sorted by points, there's two Vlad's in a row, but still no Nathan McKinnon's. Yeah. And when I look at the 60, there's still no Nathan McKinnon's in the top 30. Like, he is easily the most productive player at home and not in the conversation on the road. 
Okay, but when he was out, I think he missed almost all road games. That won't affect his score. That won't affect his point rate. No, but I know, like, if you take, like, what, if he's got 56 points at home out of 77. You know, he's got 21 points on the road. Right. Uh, You're saying you a know. lot of those would have been earlier season because he basically missed when they were on the road, like, this calendar year. Yeah. Yeah, and it'll be a big test coming up on the road games this month. I'm sure it bothers all of them. So, I mean, I'm sure they've been looking into it all season, but you know, I mean, there, there's weird, there, there, you know, you can, you can parse out the mat, the matchup part of it, but, um, <laughs> okay. You know, so how, how do you explain? Go, no, go ahead. I'll get back. How, how do you explain the power play and PK splits? You know, I, can't. I, just, it, I, I don't get that. Voodoo. I think it's just confidence. I, it, it doesn't make any logical sense otherwise what the difference would be. So Nathan McKinnon on the road is 92nd in points per hour. Yeah. Guess who's 93rd? Miko Rantanen. <laughs> no, it's not Miko Rantanen this time. It's actually way funnier than that. Connor McDavid. Nick Holden. It's a player who <laughs> just barely makes the 50-minute TOI cut. Uh... Not Mark Ault. Uh, Duncan Simmons. Chris Begra. <laughs> Andre Mironov. Oh, nice. <laughs> Miro got all three of his points on the road. <laughs> <laughs> Two. Two points on the road. But it's in 51 and a half minutes. But yeah, Nathan McKinnon has the edge on him by .02 points per 60 on the road. Um... The argument is that Nathan McKinnon is single-handedly driving this team's offense at home. Um, yeah. But there's there's definitely a counter-argument in, in his heart conversation that he does not get it done on the road for whatever reason. Yeah, I was going to bring that up, that I, I think that's going to be held against him. I mean, we know that nobody's voting for him if they don't make the playoffs, so... Right. Even even if I I would argue that I don't think that should be an automatic disqualifier, even though I get it, but I don't think it should be like a total line in the sand. But I'd, I do think that the the home road split's going to work against him. Yeah, and I honestly I think you know for whatever reasons, and I, I know they're kind of dumb, but you know these awards are, are sort of you know more for the every fan rather than real hardcores um and, and so it's generally sort of the best guy on the best team kind of award and however you may feel about that you know that that's just sort of the way it should look it should be the most celebrated player in the league as far as you know being the guy that turns a, a good team into a stanley cup favorite kind of thing rather um, than just an average team to a good team right yeah um, and, and that's nothing against what Max done this year. I think yeah, he is the Avs MVP, you know, so easily it's not even funny. Um, and maybe there should be some sort of, I, I don't, I'm against making new awards, but I mean, there, there should be a way to look at a contribution like that and make a positive of it somehow. I don't, I don't know if he deserves a award or, or something like that, but. Uh, kind of the comeback, I mean, a comeback player. I think that's it. It's always like Are a you saying he's our Masters, Masterston candidate? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that that's kind of funny anyway, because they usually give it to someone that, that's had a hardship or that's 
That's oh, like crashing your truck into a donut shop? <laughs> well, his, his hardship is playing for the 48-point avalanche. Yeah. So. But sometimes it does go to, like, literally a comeback like that. And I think... Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what you're talking about. I think that would be kind of an acknowledgement of... of of his perseverance, even though I know when you held it up next to somebody who's like come back from cancer, it just sounds so silly, but it's not necessarily intended for the, you know, the heartstring award. Sometimes it does go to the congratulations. You turned your career around kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, if he ends up with 40 goals and a hundred points or something like that, um, he could do which he could do. Um, you know, after what he did last year, and I, I forget his exact numbers last year, but, you know, they were nowhere near that, obviously. <laughs> 53 points, yeah. I just looked, yeah, 53 points. Um, so, if, I mean... Right, like, know, at so, what, some, what... Some more... sort of change like that. And I think the Avs, them, you know, the whole Avs team should should be up for that award, too, just because, <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, that, that crazy goal... That, that crazy goal that Carl scored the other day that, that went off, you know, a guy skate and passed Dubnik, uh, that was the Avs' 200th goal of the year. And they had 164 last year. You know, they, they, they crossed their points total from last year in January. Um, you know, they, they've, they, they've gone beyond just be going from the worst team ever to semi-competitive. And they've, they've really gone... A, much further past where they were last year. They they could have a hundred more goals than they did last year. This year's Mashton Trophy winner from the Colorado Avalanche, the Colorado Avalanche. Yeah. <laughs> Jared Bednar even. <laughs> <laughs> Which is uh, because you're comparing it against such a low number from last year. It is hard yeah. to kind of get like context because even if they were like a 70, 80 point team, that's still like, Wow, almost double better, but now we're past that. Yeah. Kind of past the even kind of double better. Yeah, I mean if they you know, if they end up with ninety six points double of last year and a hundred more goals, I mean that you know, that that's more than just improving from where you were. You know, that that's you're you're a genuinely good team after being something that was horrifying to look at. Yeah, in the fall, we were saying, you know, if they reach 80 points, that's a that's a big success. And today they got their 76th point, and it's the beginning of March. Yeah, and, and that's I about was... what I thought they would have for the season. Same. So, yeah, I mean, at this point, they're, they're, they're playing with house money. Like, they're going to have a, a very good season. Just my concern is then you have to match that next year. Like, like you said, we're beyond just, hey, you're at least decent now. Now we're into, you have to be good next year. Yeah. Um, yeah, if they end up with 250 goals, um, you know, that, that's that's a high number. And, and granted, scoring is way up this year, but, you know, that <clears throat> that's where you'd like to see this team is, is sort of a 250-goal team. Like, I, you know, I, I don't want to ever see the Avalanche be sort of like the, you know, a Kings of the Stanley Cup era type team where they're, you know, they they score two hundred and twenty and allow one eighty or something like that. You know, I think I think this team should be exciting. You know, I'd <clears throat> I'd love to see them with a, a good goal differential and, and scoring about two hundred and fifty goals a year. You know, which is just over three a game. And I, I think they can be successful like that. 
so what do we think McKinnon ends up with? Or what... Like, if he crosses 100, I think, first of all, that would, that's just mind-boggling to me. But I guess to me, that 100 would be just kind of the the huge milestone. Like, anything at this point's a milestone. 80, 90, but 100 would really be something. Well, I mean, if you know, like he's on a two-point two 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 per game pace over the last eight games. <laughs> well, he's got eight <laughs> home games left, so <laughs> you can expect about 15 points there. Yeah. So that puts him at 91. Is everybody still there? Yeah. 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 So just that... Slow turning the math in our head, just yeah. Just kind of <laughs> processing, so if... That 95-point season is definitely within reach if he doesn't cool off dramatically, which he could cool off dramatically. Yeah. But we've been saying that since January, so... Well, and we've also been saying that, that March's schedule is quite a bit tougher than, than they've had recently, but he wasn't in... You know, he didn't play all the easy games. He was injured for them, so... I mean, you know <laughs> what? As we've said that, but as I look at March's schedule again, now that we're actually in March, I mean, Columbus are right. struggling a little bit. Chicago are not the team we thought they were, and Colorado played them three times. I mean, huh. Arizona is in there. L.A. is in uh, there, and they're kind of a bubbly team. We've got Detroit another time. Right, like, legitimately, I think their toughest is going to be the back-to-back with Vegas. Right. I agree with that completely. And any, you know, I, I think, you know, obviously St. Louis is going through some difficult times recently. Um, but, but that's, that's still something... not going to be an easy game to win. Right. And, and that that's something they need to get off their back. Because I think, you know, granted, they didn't beat the Preds today. I think they showed they could hang with them, um, which I think was important. Um, now they've got to show they can do that with the Blues. What was the last team they beat on the road that was, like, decent? Like, I can remember... Vancouver and Edmonton, and because we've played them so many times, I'm having trouble remembering, like, the order of things. But I think their last home wins, or their last road wins were Vancouver and Edmonton, right? Their and last road win against a playoff team was on January 22nd, a 4-2 win over the Toronto yeah. Maple Leafs. Yeah. And their last road win before that was earlier in the month against Dallas. Yeah. But am I right? So basically, it's been Vancouver and Edmonton. Yeah. Yeah, they, they beat Edmonton in overtime. They beat Buffalo. They beat Vancouver right, in overtime. Buffalo. So they, they had two road wins in February against bad teams, and it took them overtime to do it. Like, yuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I... Yeah, I didn't think it was quite that bad, but yeah. Yeah, so... Well, and, and another thing that this little win streak at home has done, it, it shows that, that sort of the 10-game win streak wasn't really super fluky. I mean, obviously, any 10-game win streak is going to be a little bit fluky. Um, but I, I think that's gotten them back to the confidence level that they had sort of in that, that time period. And they're definitely back. You know, I, I feel like it was a little inflated where they were standings-wise after winning 10 games. But yeah, they and have... anyone's would be they have worked their way to stay in that kind of like floating into eighth. So that's helped them that, yeah. that they don't have to kind of climb back. And then other teams have helped like St. Louis imploding has helped that. <laughs> Definitely. 
That's been a very big help. Where is St. Louis in the standings right this minute? They have 75 points, which is good for 10th in the West. And I don't think they play today. And also, I would say, like, Minnesota was on quite a streak before they hit Arizona and Colorado. So maybe they were a little bit inflated when they went up to third in, in the Central. Um, so it, to me, it just sort of looks like, you know, the, kind of the Avs and the Blues and the Stars and the Wild. Um, I, I'm not going to say they're all even, but I, I think they're just, they're, they're really all going for the same spots. I think, you know, really that Winnipeg and Nashville are so far ahead of everybody that they're, they're in a different zip code. Um, but everybody else, like I, I you know, I, I heard some of the guys saying that they're going to shoot for third in the division, and you know, obviously it would take something incredibly uh, lucky to make that happen. But well, they know, should I think, that's think a, that. I, I don't yeah. necessarily think right, that, but, but I just, I, I think that you know, out of Minnesota, St. Louis, Colorado, and, and Dallas, that you know, those four teams are are looking for um, the two wild card spots along with the third spot in the central. I, I don't think third spot in the central is locked up by many at all. And I don't think St. Louis has waved the white flag. Like I want to see where they're at when they kind of normalize. Like every team's going to look great after they go on a run. Every team's going to look like they're done after they go through what St. Louis went through. But I want to see like what happens when they actually start winning. I know they, they won their last game. And maybe they haven't played since then, um, but they they lost in overtime to somebody last night. Oh, okay, all right, but Dallas. so see that they at least got to overtime, you know. So they're kind of they're kind of normalizing. So I don't necessarily look at it like we passed them. You know, we're done with we're, we're past that. Like we don't have to worry. Yeah, about not, not at all. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're not they're not as bad as what they've been over the past two weeks. Right, exactly. Like, it took them having a horrific two weeks to get even. Like, they're not just going to stay in the hole. Yeah. And, and, again, I think, you know, out of those four teams, one one team is going to be left out. Um, right. You know, and, and on paper, that's probably Colorado. Um, you know, I hope it's not. But... It, Obviously, you know, it, it, it's going to be who plays consistently, you know, because all of all of these four teams have been on sort of streaks, except for Dallas has been sort of not streaky, but not that great either. It almost makes those games in Minnesota and St. Louis kind of must wins. Yeah. Well, especially the, the St. Louis one, because the next day is back to back against Nashville. Which, <laughs> it's at home, but they've traveled from St. Louis to do it. So it's kind I think of a Nashville. Game is also on a back-to-back that day so that helps a little but but yeah that's an incredibly tough two-game stretch there yeah well it's just that that's you know that that's very playoffy there's a lot of points up for grabs in those games so i'd like to cover one more angle of the mckinnon for heart conversation before we abandon it completely even though we already kind of have um because there's the argument that um he has kind of the most help from from teammates in the league like he's got Miko Rantanen who's also in the top 20 in scoring um and and that's sort of a strike against Kucherov as well because he's got Steven Stamkos um that that's where Taylor Hall gets brought up because I, he's far and away the 
best scorer on his team. So, like, do we have a counter-argument to that? Because I think McKinnon makes Rantanen, but there's not enough of a sample of Rantanen without McKinnon to really know that for sure. I mean, I think they make each other, and I think that goes for all the guys on Tampa as well. I mean, you play with good players, you're going to do well. Um, yeah, I mean, that makes that makes Hall look good, but um, you could also say that by Hall being so far away from the rest of his teammates that maybe he's sort of like Rick Nash and Columbus and sort of cannibalizes points from everybody. Um, sort of he scores a lot because he's the guy that scores a lot. I think Ranston makes a big difference, actually. I think – I don't think McKinnon would be playing the way he would be without Ranston, but I don't necessarily think that means it should discredit McKinnon. I just think you're playing two good players together. Like how I don't – I know they don't play on the same line, but like Crosby and Malkin don't cross each other out. Like they're both seen as both good players. I can't, That's how I kind of see it. Yeah. And I, I mean, you know, I know Gabe isn't in the, you know, up where Miko and, and, uh, and Mac are, but, you know, he's also very important to both those guys scoring a lot. Yeah, it's important to remember that, the, that McKinnon got off to a slow start this season and it didn't really kick off until Gabe Landeskog was on his line. Because that line wasn't together yeah. for a while. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the best lines in the league. I mean,. I made a, a little bit of a comparison to the Legion of Doom line with Eric Lindros and Michael Renberg and John, Le- John LeClaire on Philadelphia in the in the mid '90s. Um, and even though I hated that team, I, I liked that line just because there were three guys that were very good at different things and they complemented each other so well. Um, and I, I think there's a little of that going on um, with our top line just because you have Gabe who. You know, he, he's sort of the power forward that can be defensively responsible and, and take a little bit of a, that kind of load off the other two. Um, Miko is, is just gigantic and has huge reach. Um, you know, just, just very creative with his passing um, that we, we just didn't, you know, we didn't really see that last year. I mean, you look at his stats last year, he had 20 goals and 18 assists. And this year it's it's a you know one goal to two assist ratio, which is about what we sort of... That, that's what we saw when he was in the AHL. And that's kind of what we were expecting with him. And I think if McKinnon was just feeding Ranton in points, I mean, wouldn't wouldn't Landeskog then have about the same? They're right. on the same line if you're saying, you know, he's, he's getting feeding these guys assists, then Miko shouldn't be so much further than Landeskog. Right. Um, you know, I just, I, I just, I love the chemistry of that line, and I, I know for years I thought it was dumb that that you know to 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 put all your best players on one line is silly, and I, I you know, I, I would like down the road to maybe see Miko try to carry his own line, but um, you know, just having that line on the ice, it's just incredible what they can do. To, I mean, even oh. a. To, it doesn't even depend on who they're playing. I mean, they can be playing, you know, a Nashville or they can be playing Vancouver. Um, you know, they, they just, they do so many creative and fun things on the ice. It's just fantastic for fans. Yeah. And, and Landis Cog doesn't always get as many points as the other two do, but he's very much creating the space for them to do what they do. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I don't get into the whole you know why hasn't Landis Cog scored a goal this week kind of stuff that maybe others do. Yeah, I and he no has issue. scored. It's like people don't even notice when he scored. <laughs> 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 he, he I need Landy. I think Landy needs to step it up. And I'm like, look at look at what he's done in the last five games. He, yeah. He's not that bad. The Atlas will lose 5-2. And they're like, where's the captain to turn his team around? You're like, look at the score sheet. He scored two fucking goals. Yeah. What do you want? Against Minnesota. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, it's that there are a lot of stuff that, that doesn't score show up on the score sheet that, you know, it's like Landeskog's really good at entering the zone. Um, <clears throat> he's, you know, he's obviously the defensively responsible one, but you know, he does a lot of stuff that you think that just Mac and, and Miko take care of. And he, he's way he's way more a part of what they do than sort of goals and assists indicate. Yeah, and, and I still think sometimes, I, like for this year, what they have going is what they're going to go with. But like in the future, I wouldn't mind if they kind of put Landis Cog and Soderberg and made that a defensive line and then maybe try to make the other one an offensive line, knowing that you can always put those three back. Yeah, I mean, all you need are options, really, you know? Right. Like, I wouldn't mind if they kind of, yeah, gave themselves options to move away from it. But, yeah, obviously at this point, it's been so successful, so dynamic. You know, you don't want to say, hey, break it up just for the fun of it. It's just, you know, in the future, they're going to kind of have to rethink how they want these lines to work. Yeah, at some point, it, it's going to be sort of Miko and Mac are going to start canceling each other out, being on the same line. Um, you know, and at, at that point, it makes sense to sort of have each one carry their own line. Um, right, like next year, we're going to need a proper second line. And I think Soderbergh could be the center for that line, but you have to look at it a different way, I think. It can't be with Como Nieto. You got to have yeah. like actual scoring talent on that line. Yeah, right. that's what you, you need. Personnel have options there, um, and and that's the sort of player that the Avalanche have lacked for. I, I don't know how long have I been following this team closely. Back that whole time. <laughs> yeah. So um, just to kind of run one quick thread back to our playoff picture discussion, the uh, the Minnesota Wild are down a goal early in the first, so that's good. Hey, good for them. Were they playing? Uh, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Is Dubnik playing? I don't know. Yeah. I'm not watching that game. Oh. I just I'm, I'm, not to da- I'm not to daily scoreboard level, but I do know LA doesn't play for a few days, so that's, that's going to help the picture. Help everything come into place. Yeah. Um, so the Avalanche got seven points in four games this week, and they did it without some of their most important players. They did it without a number one defenseman in Eric Johnson. They did it without a middle six forward in Sven Andragetto, who has been back on the ice in practice with a no-contact jersey on. They did it without a middle-pairing defenseman in Mark Barbario, who's maybe not a middle-pairing defenseman on every defense, but this is the Az defense. They did it without, you know, they're missing some guys. So, their backup goalie or starting goalie, depending on how you want to look at it. Right. They did without one of their platoon goalies. So, a lot of the um, ice time has fallen to the likes of Duncan Siemens. Hello, Duncan Siemens. How are you? Um, long time no see. NHL goal scorer, Duncan Siemens. Yeah. 
and his apparent defensive partner, Anton Lindholm. Um, for some reason. We've also <laughs> seen a lot of ice time for Gabriel Bork, a lot of ice time for Dominic Tomonato. Um, I know how to say that name. Whatever my mouth just did is not the name. Um, I felt it come out, and I was like, this is not how you say Tononato. <laughs> Whatever. It's better than how Haynes says it. How does he say it? Uh, Tokonato. <laughs> that's, that's worse than the guy in preseason, or in, in the uh, rookie <laughs> showcase, who was calling him Tony Onato. <laughs> Tony Onato. Because you can almost kind of see that, but there's not a C in that name, or a K at any point. What? Tot-nado. I think it's actually Totnado. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's <laughs> Toninado, and you're just like hearing the glut, the the glut, uh, What is it called? The glottal stop. Um, <laughs> but so that's where I get kind of frustrated sometimes with uh, lots of ice time for defenders like Patrick or Patrick Nimich. But this is not one of those times that I'm frustrated with it. And uh, I see a lot of people that are like, "Why there's so much ice time for 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 these guys for Nemo and." Because who else are you going to give it to? Oh, and actually, Nemeth has been really good with Sam lately. Um, yeah, I was going to say that, too. Not not I, this game. I haven't looked at the numbers for this game, but last game, they were the Corsi stars of the defense, and they were, I think Sam was at 68% and, and or 62%, and, and Nemo was at 58%. They were, they were good against. Sam was yeah. the best. I think he was at 61 Yeah, and, I noticed and him Nemeth at the top. was, yeah, wasn't far behind so yeah i agree i mean i've complained a lot about that pair and i th- i think it's gotten better i think sam's gotten more comfortable more on the right side i think um i think they complement each other i think maybe nemeth has figured out kind of how to play off sam and i think yeah i have to admit i think that pairing's gotten better and and i don't mind that they play more because that also means that sam's playing more so yeah, exactly so I don't have a big complaint about that. Like, you know, Bender does kind of tend to default to Nemeth a little too much late in the game. Like, immediately when they got that Ranton and goal today, they immediately went into, like, where you saw Nemeth and Z paired. And when you see that, you know that he's gone into, like, clutch for the win mode. And I think maybe today's outcome should be a little bit of a lesson not to run to that and to try well, I, I to think... kind of keep things you know how yeah, you I, got there maybe he would have yeah, think... that by now if he was ever gonna <laughs> all right i i think that that like siemens works well with zadorov because zadorov is is a is more of a puck mover but i think if you put siemens with um with nemeth you really limit what you can do as far as even clearing the puck you know, like an, even an icing. And that's what um, they did five on six with Siemens and Nemeth. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't like that. So much those pairings, it's just when you see that, you know where Benner's going. Yeah. With the pairings. Um, like, like he he went with that immediately after, and I'm like, oh, you know, here we go. Mm-hmm. Here's where Nemeth basically is going to play the last five minutes of this game. And I don't, like, I get it. I get that you're you have the lead with five minutes to go you're going to do things a little bit differently. And he even still put the frat line out there. You know, he's not completely 
you know, just all vets, but especially the defensive pairs, like, you know, I don't think that helps when you have five minutes of those guys. Yeah, I mean, I can see the the logic behind it, if you can call it that, is that that's your top PK pair, and you're in a situation where you're trying to prevent goals against. And right, but then you're treating it like a PK, and then exactly. that's how you you're give treating up a goal. it like a PK. And, <laughs> you know, yeah. that that's probably not good thinking. If um, treating it like a PK was a good strategy, then Colorado <coughs> would never give up a goal in the last minute and a half. Not at yeah. home, anyway. Because <laughs> their penalty kill is strong. We yeah. gave it a lot of uh, shit in October, and it got its ducks in a row, and now it's good. But the five-on-six has never learned whatever lesson the penalty kill learned. But as far yeah, as the I'd... third pair, like, Duncan and Lindy's not going to work long-term. No. No. And you could no. tell that after they had their first, that the goal that they gave up early in the game, that Bednar really tried to not put that pair out together. Like, Siemens and it's tough and, because Duncan was so good with Warsawski earlier. Yeah. And granted, they were playing against Vancouver and Calgary, and that skews it. But it, it's like, you know, when, when Anton came back into the lineup and they put those two together, it's just like, you know, Anton does not bring what David Warsawski does. And I can't believe I'm saying that. But, <laughs> but no, you know, I, I think Warsawski's been better in the NHL than he's in the AHL. Yeah, and, and, you know, say what you want about him, he can get the puck moving. Right. And and Duncan can get the puck moving better somehow when Warsawski's with him. Uh, but it just seems like when, when Lindholm and, and Siemens are out there together, it's just, you know, you just can't get the puck out. It's just yakety sacks back there. Yeah. It, it's not um, going to work. And, and we look at, at, you know, maybe Lindholm doesn't bring what Warsawski brings in terms of puck movement, and neither of them bring what Barbario brings, which makes us yeah. very sad that he has apparently died and has not been seen for a while. I mean, I know yeah. that they will like the Z-Berry as the top pair, but it's really kind of been Lindholm that's only ever kind of... Lindholm and Barry work for some reason, so maybe... And they, they, they had that a little bit after, you know, what you were saying, when they, they kind of broke up Duncan and, and Lindholm uh, yeah. after the little FUPA early. Um, is, is, is you're going to... They're probably going to have to treat Barry like how they treated EJ and play him with two different players to kind of get it to work, where he's going to play some, like, those top pair situations, and then he's going to probably need to play some with Lindholm, and then, and then you could play, like, Zadorov and Siemens together, because... Yeah, until they get somebody back, until they get Barbario back, which who knows if that's going to happen, or EJ, you know, we could be looking at this is the six for like, you know, a couple more weeks. They're going to have to figure out something to make it work better. Yeah, we can't assume that EJ or Barbario are going to come back at this point. Right. Because, I mean, maybe Barbario has a concussion. Do we even know? I, I think, think so. Yeah, Better Mike Kane said he had a concussion. Oh, did he and, actually say that? And, and now Colin Wilson joins the concussion parade this week as well. So, I mean. That makes four. How many concussions can one team have? <laughs> All of them. Um, yeah, that's tough. And, it, and Bernie's been cleared, so that's that's really good news. That um, is good news. He wasn't on the bench today, but I guess he's going to be the – I think they're going to send Marty back probably tonight. Yeah, I think take, it was uh, – is a so Bernier, I would imagine he would play in the coming week. I don't Probably. know if he'll play, but he'll he'll be on the bench at least. Right. 
Yeah. Because this is only a two-game road trip, or is it a three? Two. Yeah, he he might he might play at home uh, the next home game, which is against Arizona. So I can see that for sure. Yeah, why not? Um. um anyway, there's just there's a lot of pieces missing, and the team have still managed to pull it out anyway. And uh, it's it really exposes your depth when you're in situations like this, but. You're still like this God. week. We've seen a million points from from Ranson and from McKinnon, um, and a, it was more than just them against Minnesota, also. But uh, apart from that, it's been mostly those two getting it done and really carrying the load. But well, just I I think when you see that you know the team had a ten game win streak without Barry, and and now they've you know they, they've had some good success without EJ in the lineup. You know, that's not saying that, like, oh, yeah, we should trade Barry or we don't need EJ. It's just, it shows that, you know, we got some depth this year. You can lose a player like good teams lose good players and still compete. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's it's getting better. And really the ironic thing is that it's Siemens that's now part of that depth. I just, you know, his <laughs> entire storyline, like, if you were just looking at this from a story perspective, you were saying, how does this end? Like, is he <laughs> a real option now moving forward? Like, you know, for so long, we've just figured he's just not even an option. And now he's kind of, he's gotten the opportunity. They kind of were forced to give it to him. Like, I well, they, they wanted, they gave him this opportunity in, in training camp and he punted it. You know, I think they wanted this at the beginning of the year because I think yeah, Bednar yeah. really liked him at the end of last year. And I was like, why, why wasn't this guy playing in my lineup instead of Fetter Tootin and Weirkosh and all these other garbage guys? And that's fair. I believe he finally got a real <laughs> shot then. But so, I mean, sure, at the, they could have, but you know, we'll get into that later. Or even Warsawski instead of him. So they decided to keep him. But it's like that's what their options were at this point. So they were yeah. kind of forced to acknowledge Give him another that, chance. Yeah. <laughs> that, hey, you know, we, we're going to play this guy. Because when they played him earlier, it was six minutes against Buffalo. Like at that point, they just didn't even want to play him. Yeah. And so here, when they're finally forced to actually play him, and he's... You know, he's had some ups and downs, but he's shown that he should absolutely be in that conversation. Like, I don't think Lindholm has shown more than he has. So, to me, those two are even. If you're talking about moving forward, if you're talking about next year, like, who should be the bottom pair, who should be the number seven, who should make the roster. Like, at this point, I don't see why, you know, I've seen stuff like, oh, don't think Siemens is, like, the thing now. And I don't, but I think he's definitely in the conversation with, like, Lindholm, etc. He's and so, so I'm really interested to see where they go with that moving forward. Definitely agree with don't look at him as the thing, but he is a thing, whereas two weeks ago he was nothing, so. Right, which is just, you know, just nobody would have ever expected they would be sitting here in March talking about... Duncan Siemens is like an actual member of the Avalanche. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the great thing is he's an RFA. It's not like, you know, it's, it's something, you know, you really have to motivate to, to, to keep the guy. Good Lord. Is he still an yeah. RFA? Yes, yeah, he's, he, he was the youngest day. guy in his draft class. Really? Yeah. 
he Ooh. if yeah if he had been born before July first be USA but so it, especially in a week when they gave up on Vigra and then you've had Siemens that you've held on to for five years which we felt like for the last two years was just like just AHL depth you know he's done he's not ever going to be anything is are we suddenly looking at an option here yeah I mean I think I you know I, I still think that he could you know, end up in, in Colorado next year, meaning the Eagles and, you know, be sort of a top pair vet guy. That's, you know, internal solution to guys they've brought in from elsewhere that haven't worked out. Um, he could, you know, he could end up on the as the seventh guy. He could end up on the third pair. I mean, you know, he, there, there are a bunch of spots that he could fit into next year. I would definitely make it like a competition between he and Lindholm for like maybe that seven. Yeah, for sure. That's kind of how I'd look at it. A never-ending competition, honestly. I mean, you know, there's no reason to set and forget there. And and we talk about that not even really knowing who's going to be on the defensive roster next year either. Exactly. We know Patrick Nemeth will be. Yeah. Well, I don't think Vigra <laughs> should be higher than a seventh. So, I mean, if it's if there's Macar or not Macar, if they go out and actually sign somebody, you hope you hope you know if it's not Barbario, you hope it's actually somebody better than Barbario. Which you know, I question their evaluation if they if they think they can find better than Barbario on the market. But yeah, if they think they can find someone better than Barbario on the market, they're grossly mistaken, <laughs> especially for what he's going to cost. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. If you can, you know, if you can get like Carlson or someone like that, you know, and and that's you know, if you think that's a great plan, then then that would definitely be an upgrade. But you so know, for, for what the role you're looking of... for for Mark Barbario, I mean, it's like you can't really do better than that, right? So are we at the point where we kind of want this same decor to come back? Like, no, not quite. I I mean, that's I don't know what at, I, I don't know how you upgrade this decor. You know, I, I don't know who you get rid of and improve on without long-term commitment to something that you're not really that sure about. What I want to see is some imaginary awesomeness lose the imaginary. As the other day, Connor Timmons signed his ELC and is now a pro hockey player. He is. Glad to see that. I mean, we we, we expect we signings, and, and that was the one that was we knew that was going to happen. But it's always nice to see it. It's always nice to you know know that the guys had his moment signing the contract, and it's all official, and you know you can check that off the to do list. So I'm always happy to see when guys are signed, and I hope there's more coming sooner than later. But that'll just take time, I guess. And, you know, along that vein, I, I watched, along with you, Jackie, the Swift Current Broncos versus uh, the Brandon Wheat Kings last night. I was mainly watching for Ty Lewis, of course, who's who signed a, a contract back in the fall, and and that will become enforced this uh, summer. You know, but he's, you know, he's been tearing up the WHL, as, as we've all known. But Swift Current is where Josh Anderson was traded from the PG Cougars at the trade deadline in the WHL. And I was actually really impressed with his game last night. Um, he looks really different. And just to, just to give you a little background, Richard Matvichuk, if you remember him from the awful Dallas teams that we all hated around the turn of the century, um, 
he was the coach of the PG Cougars, and, and Josh was very stay-at-home. You, you almost couldn't find him in the picture if they were in the off- offensive zone. And, you know, he was – he was jumping into plays. I mean, he almost scored a goal from the crease last night. Uh, he was shooting the puck a lot. And we've always kind of written him off as sort of a plug that, you know, might be an ECHL, AHL tweener. Uh, but he's a big guy. He's, he's definitely still very defensively oriented. Uh, but he's he's got a little bit more to his game than we've seen in the past. So he, he's someone that I, I think will get an ELC and, and should be – in the picture for the Eagles next year. And, you know, I'm just, I, I was just really impressed with sort of the growth of his game last night. Yeah. I think he's had a good year. Like, like last year was fine, but I, I do, I agree. I think he's had a, a really good year. Even when he was back in PG, he looked, he looked better, but getting traded to a team with like actual offensive capability has helped him too. And, yeah. Um, yeah. He, I, I agree. I think he's someone that should get a contract. I mean, the Avs knew he was a defensive guy when they drafted him. So if you look at where his game is and what they were hoping for when he was drafted, I mean, I don't see how you could say he didn't earn the contract from his end. Yeah, I mean, it's if, if actually this, you know, if sort of what I saw last night was what they were expecting when they drafted, then that's really good because we didn't see that for a year and a half. Um, and it's like, what else could you have expected? Yeah. <laughs> Um, let's uh, let's put a bow on this kind of future defensive roster conversation by mentioning that our, uh, our old friend Andre Miranoff has gone through unconditional waivers this week and is headed back to the KHL. So, with a whimper and a string of Instagram posts, ends the Miro era. Yeah, he took some parting shots in a um, a Russian um, article. At, at, at various aspects of being in America and the Avs organization. And, um, was and he just, just being it, direct? Was he just being honest? I, I don't think he's tending to kind of slander. It's just... Sometimes that, he, sounded like he, he sounded like he was complaining, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, sometimes translation... Was positive, can, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, so, so, sometimes translation can assign tone that wasn't in the original. I, mean, yeah. I just think some of those interviews can be a bit direct. That yeah. I don't think that's the first interview from Russia that's felt a little... Um, I, I think I recall a Kucherov article that kind of made a little waves a year or two ago. Like I, I think that's just kind of the way they are. Oh, yeah, and then what happened? <laughs> and um, But I'm glad it happened because the Avs tend to kind of like bury their mistakes in the AHL and we see firsthand what that does to the environment, to the other players, to everything. And I was worried that they were just going to have to suffer through Miro's last, last year of his contract next year. And, and we all knew that he wasn't going to stand for staying in the AHL, but you know, there would be the promises, the call-ups, this and that. And you know, I'm glad they're just not wasting time at either level on it uh, moving forward. Yeah, it's just, uh, I mean, his final game uh, for the Rampage against San Diego, I mean, he, you know, just by sort of apathy, he was responsible for two goals and a 3 nothing loss. Um, you know, that, that's just not healthy. I mean, you know, we've had vets come down and, and sort of dog it, but this this was even beyond that. 
and it's obviously he had no interest in being there and you know that that's just not good for either side um so i'm i'm glad that whoever took the initiative whether it was the abs or or miro himself they just decided to to, to call off the wedding and and i don't mind that they tried because i, I we still have have a few other picks that we could bring over from overseas, but at least Shivarov is younger and, and things like that. So I look at him more as kind of like a Kamenev, possibly, but um, I don't mind they used a pick on him. I don't mind that they tried it. Just, it kind of left them with no options when they found out he wasn't an NHL player, and it wasn't just a matter of getting up to speed a couple weeks in the AHL. Like, when they sent him there initially, that's what it was. But I think by December, it was pretty obvious they didn't want to play him. And he, wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't really getting better in the AHL. You know, it, it was kind of, it is what it is at that point. And um, like I said, I'm, I'm glad the plug got pulled at this point. It's just... Um, you know, moving forward, especially bringing guys over. And, you know, it, it's kind of the same thing when they brought Rendulic and, you know, they're trying to bring these older Europeans over. And what do you do with them when they're not really NHL quality because they're not at the age for development? You know, you're not bringing a 19, 20 year old over, you're bringing 24 year olds over. And it's either kind of NHL or bust for those guys. Yeah, I'm I'm yeah, that... cool with what they did here. They they brought him over. They tried they to see what they've got. They gave him a chance. They gave him plenty of chances. And when uh when it when it didn't work out, they said okay, and we're gonna cut bait here. You wanna go home? So I mean, I I've I... got no time for oh another fourth round pick that turns into nothing for the Avalanche. Like, how many fourth round picks get any NHL games? I, I'm okay. I, I like the pick. I think it was, you know, it was a great gamble to take, and and I feel the same way about Shvirov. <clears throat> um, I I still have a little bit of misgivings about the signing itself, just because I I, ju- I just feel that the scouting staff and and player personnel should have kind of known the situation. What you know that that he really wasn't NHL ready. You know, I, I can see maybe they were thinking that that he was close or something like that, but it just you know, like he wasn't real close at all. We saw him in the World <laughs> Championships, and yeah, let's just say how he played in the NHL wasn't like a large departure from that. So yeah. right, it was kind of like when they saw that, and plus he he hardly played last year in the KHL. I think he was injured all year. I don't know, like. Yeah, I kind of agree. Like, I think they wanted just to get him over just to do it. And it wasn't really about, like, we definitely feel like this guy's NHL quality. It was more like to have that accomplishment. Yeah, and I I know scouting is a little bit of voodoo, but it just, I just, I really wonder just because there's so so many mistakes like this that you really wonder how good they are at evaluating talent. Not very. um, Especially. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we know they're not really good at evaluating talent even inside the organization. So it's got to be a lot more difficult outside of the organization. So it's just, you know, I, I mean, it's not a terrible chance to take, but it just, you, you, 
I, I wish I knew what they were th- kind of thinking when they signed him, whether they were thinking that like, yeah, he's not real good, but maybe he can get better. Or, you know, if they thought he really was going to be a part of the abs this year, because if they thought he was going to be sort of a, you know, a solid player for the avalanche this year, e- even if it was a, you know, sort of a, a six, seven role that that's, that's way above what, what he really was. And that's, that, that's just, it's a little bit, it's a little bit alarming. That's what BSN told us to to expect was well he's going to be your third line right D, your third pair yeah. right D. And he won't he won't play every game, but that's where he's going to be. And uh, that didn't happen. No, he played ten games though, and not real well. <laughs> so happy, happy trails to Miro. Good luck back in Russia, and hopefully you can uh, have a little bit uh, more playing time and, and better results over there and i think the avalanche defensive depth will uh get a little bit more clear today yeah, yeah I, th- I think they they should focus on what they have now yeah uh, and it does, played it... really well i think they need to focus on guys like him yeah and and that wasn't to take a shot at, at bsn either i think that you know you, you can only watch players so much and a, a lot of what they tell us to expect on players like roster spots i think comes from what the team is planning to do Oh, no, I don't think that was unfair either. I mean, some people thought it'd be, like, top four, and that I think that was a bit much. That I, was madness. Yeah, yeah, I think we all were hoping, you know, bottom pair, maybe the seventh, and that, that isn't so far off of... I mean, it was, it was there was no reason to not think that was possible, I guess I could say. Like, in hindsight, you know, that, that's what we were hoping for, and, and that's that's the kind of player he is. Well, and also when they said that, like Nemich and, and Sam weren't even in the picture. That's a good point. Um, and and when they brought Miro over, we were already thinking, you know, this really muddles up the bottom pair depth chart a little bit. <laughs> like, there's already a lot of guys in that role. Yeah, and it's like you know, it's silly as maybe it seemed at the time to pick up Nemeth. Um You know, maybe the staff knew right away that the Miro thing wasn't happening. Uh, <laughs> yeah like in camp yeah yeah i think that's yeah that's and yeah i mean a lot of us thought that maybe that was because duncan flailed or whatever but maybe it was because duncan flailed and Miro was terrible um and you know that's just tough um but it you know it, i i think some things have definitely happened in the ahl that have sort of made it easier like there was going to be a log jam anyway like boykoff hasn't been around all season there would have been nowhere for him to play um mason gertson i know everyone looks at his stats and he's like ah you know it's like this guy sucks but <clears throat> gertson does a lot of good things that don't show up on the scoreboard i think he's sort of taken over uh sort of a a more veterany left defensive role uh, than, than most people would probably project him. Um, so I, you know, I, I think getting rid of Miro sort of makes it a lot easier to bring in guys like Makar and Timmons and, and, you know, not, not have too much of a log jam there. And I think they really need to start thinking about Malosh because he's had, he's had such a good couple, couple months. Like, yes. He's been incredible. Like not in the, you know, pencil him into the roster kind of thing because he's still a prospect. But I think, I think he's somebody they kind of have to have a real conversation about where they see him next year because 
I don't think he should just be kind of like in the mix or on the pile. Like they need to have a plan for him because because of how well he's played. I think he'll definitely be in for you know that third pair right D slot. Yeah, I think Uh-oh. I think it'd be great if they gave him a legitimate chance. That spot yeah. might be cursed. <laughs> Why Duncan's in it now? What's what could go wrong? What could go wrong indeed? <laughs> hey, that number's only one slashy mark from being eighteen. You know. <laughs> as Vlad in yeah. the chat pipes in the exact same thing <laughs> <laughs> no but I, I mean when you just sort of start looking and, and Ruto wrote, wrote an article about this uh, uh, about a month ago on sort of where, where the Eagles are, are looking early next year um, you know there's there was a lot of muddling in, in the defense I mean it's like we need forwards bad I mean real bad we got nothing but I'm there a are so scared many... about that. <laughs> yeah, but there were there were so many D's you couldn't even believe it. You know, it's like yeah. and you're throwing Josh Anderson in there, <clears throat> and you know you've you've got and you have Graves. You've now. got plenty, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they don't really need to go out and get defense. I mean, if, if you can get like a, a large upgrade, but. Otherwise, yeah, if you can get Carlson, great, you know, or, or someone, I don't think there's going to be anyone like that. And I don't really think Carlson's going to be available anyway. But, you know, if that's the kind of move you can make, all right, do it, you know, but, you know, you don't need another Warsawski. We've already got Warsawski and, and, you know, we kind of know what he is now. He's not terrible. Um, you know, he can come up to the NHL and play a few games. Um, he can, you know, he can be a good puck mover and score down in the... AHL, he's actually he's in the top three of defensemen for shooting uh, shots on goal right now. Um, so you know he does some good things down there. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think other than than looking for a massive upgrade, you don't really need to do anything as long as you can sign who you think you're going to sign. So we've uh, we've gone on quite a bit here on this. Let's. Uh... We've actually kind of gone on quite a bit on a few things today. Let's let's go ahead and uh, and look at next week. Stars and scratches. Nathan McKinnon times three. Anton Lindholm times three. Great, cool. Coming up this week, it's maybe the last reprieve of the year for the Avalanche. On Tuesday, Colorado travel to Chicago for a six thirty Mountain start against the struggling Blackhawks. Then on Thursday, a five Mountain start in Ohio against the Blue Jackets, and the boys return home on Saturday. Another afternoon game, one o'clock Mountain against the fifty point not Phoenix Coyotes. These are some games that if you want to stay in that playoff picture we were talking about, you need them. You need these games. Yeah, they have to beat Arizona at home. That's just... Yeah, it's unfinished business, too. Unacceptable if they they lose that one. Although Arizona's been playing fantastic lately. They have, but they still need to win that game. Yeah. (laughs) It's at home. There should be no excuse to lose that one. Um... Other than that, I'd be happy with the road split. I think, I think four. I mean, I mean, you hope for more. I mean, if if you're really, really gonna be in this, you do kind of probably need like a five point week, really. But you know, I, I still think four four keeps them where they are. Yeah, I think I think beating Chicago is <clears throat> actually pretty important because you know if they're gonna play them three times this month, then. Um... You know, you, you want to start getting a feel for how you can get 
You know, you you know, out of those three games, you probably want four points at least. So, um, <clears throat> and I mean th- the three games with Chicago. Um, so I, I think you know that that's a little more important of a road game than it than it would seem as far as standing relative standings and and all that. I think um, that one in Columbus is going to be tough. I think yep. it is too. I, yeah, I th- I think that's probably you know I I picked today as a loss, so I don't know. I you know I, I thought we get four points this week and we got seven, so hey. I don't know anything. Um, Nobody knows nothing. Yeah. Exactly, but. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see a four-point week out of this. I'd, I'd like to see wins against Chicago and Arizona. If they can get anything out of, you know, if they can get a point in Columbus, that's fantastic. I think beating Chicago and beating Arizona and losing to Columbus is the most likely thing. Uh, probably means it won't the happen, Avs, but that's the most likely thing. Yeah, Avs being the Avs will beat Columbus and then lose at home to Arizona. Right. <laughs> they they will come out against Arizona and give up three in the first five minutes and not even be close. Yeah. As long as they don't call up Kraus, they'll win that game. Oh, okay. <laughs> Why did you say that name? He's an abs killer. He killed Rampage, too. The organizational killer. Whoa, that's a big deal. I apologize for all these background cracks and noises. My quiet chair is not as quiet as it used to be. I need to tighten some screws, apparently. I can't hear it. I can. I can hear it. <laughs> so maybe it's not showing up on the on the, on the the recording either. That'd be nice. So I, it sounds like we're all pretty much in agreement with this win-loss-win structure of the week being the most likely thing. I think so. I, I You know, you, you just gotta think that they're, they're gonna come out super hungry against Chicago. Um, they always play Chicago, I, I won't say well, but fun. <clears throat> um, but I, I think this, you know, you could tell just like Miko's interview. I mean, like we saw Miko after that goal. I mean, I, I just, you know, the, the the primal scream afterwards, we all felt it. Um, but he was just so mopey in that interview. And, and just, I, you know, I think this, this loss hit him hard. And, and they've been really resilient this year. So I think they're going to come out and, and really be able to take it to Chicago. But. Um, you know, Columbus is just, I, I just don't see that happening. Oh, hope it does. But regardless of whether it does or not, you know, you can find out right here. Um, you can always find the show on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash burgundy radio or on mixcloud at mixcloud.com slash burgundy radio. We're always hanging out in the discord for burgundy rainbow. Our shows are always posted on burgundyrainbow.com. You can find us in iTunes or wherever you like to keep the podcasts, all fine podcast redistributors. Um, except for on the rare occasion when I forget to mark download. Yes. And if, if that happens, if there's no show for a couple of days and you haven't heard, there won't be no show, please tell me. Cause that does happen sometimes. Um, Apart from that, we're just going to look at a normal showtime for next week. Again, we'll be late Sunday, Monday post, as usual. Keep your head up at the dirty areas, play some Metro U Powers, and we'll see you next Monday. I don't know if you can count out Vancouver, either. I don't think they're quite on that level of bad. It's they'd have to, yeah. You'd, you'd have to really have seven. something. It's closer than than you think. Yeah. 
They're 11, 15, and 6 at home, which I think is the least home wins in the league, except for Buffalo. That's because they hate their fans. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> Probably half the people who put down deposits on the Seattle Sockeyes tickets from Vancouver. <laughs> no! Crap. Bad news, everyone. Um, on the 13th, Colorado will play a nationally televised game. Yeah, it's our only one of the year. We can deal with it.